Battle Line Podcast, episode 106. We were really getting up there. Uh, mm. For the new listeners out there checking us out, because you might want to hear Dr. Donnelly Wilkes, and this might be your first time here in the podcast. My name is Ian Scotto. I am Tonto. And uh, yeah, every week on here, we interview different members of the special operations community, different military guys, and sometimes people outside of that realm. Uh, but we focus a lot on military contractors, border a- border patrol agents, and uh, that type of thing. And very excited to have Dr. Donnelly Wilkes coming on. Before we get to him, I got to tell you, I actually just tried the new de-stress blend from Ned. And like every other product from Ned, it is just great. It's effective. I got a great night's sleep. I woke up refreshed. I am a believer in it, just like pretty much all the other great products from Ned now. I, yeah, did I think I mentioned it last when we had our last read with them. And um, they sent a sample in the mail, and I tried it. And yeah, it worked really well. Uh, very, very well. If you are uh, really going through a lot of stress right now or a lot of anxiety, uh, more so than normal, uh, <laughs> people like me, um, it, it really did work. And it, it really just, again, leveled me back out. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Um, if you're for currently on the CBD products, uh, just the CBD oil, and you, you know, you're finding maybe you're starting to plateau out on it, or it's not not working as well as it did at the beginning, I would recommend giving the de-stress blend a shot because it, it did it did great. I, I, again, the CBD oil works great for me, but the de-stress, I could tell that it really, I could tell a little difference in it as far as just the, the potency of it. And it yeah. did, it, it worked, it worked well. It worked very well. So highly recommend the de-stress blend uh, and all the, all the CBD products Ned has the body butter as well, which is tremendous shoulders, no pain in them at all in the workout today I did. And I was having some issues today before I went in. So tremendous. Yeah, their stuff is great. All of Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Paonia, Colorado. If you have a minute, do an image search for Paonia, Colorado, and you'll see how beautiful the area is. Uh, These products are backed by science, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. And that distress blend that we're talking about, you'll be able to get a free sample of and uh, check it out yourself yeah. uh, with our offer. So Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process, all right there on their site. Ned CBD products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field. So if you want to try the new Distress Blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special offer for the Battleline audience. Every order over $40 qualifies for a 15% off plus a free distress blend sample. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter battleline at checkout to take advantage of this offer. Very easy to spend $40 there. You just get, you know, some CBD depending on the potency and maybe throw in a body butter and you're going to get that free sample. And it lasts for a long time. It doesn't go yes. quick, guys. So you're getting your money's worth. Definitely. Um, uh, guys, try it. Get Try it and you will... I, you will stay on it. I, I promise you that, especially if you, if you're going through or you just have a lot of stress in your life, like we all do. Everybody just daily, daily stress. It helps immensely. And it's going to make your life hundred percent better. Absolutely. So that's H E L L O N E D.com slash battle line to get 15% off plus a free distress blend sample on any order over $40. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our program and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Also back on board with us this episode, 
Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. At Audible, you can find the largest selection of audiobooks ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business, motivation. Motivation like your your past yeah. couple of books yep. right there on Audible. Read by you. Um, yeah, and more like original entertainment from top celebrity creators and thousands of popular and binge-worthy podcasts like ours, all from one app. Uh, I especially would recommend this book right here. Uh, I'll give a plug to Dr. Donnelly Wilkes, Code Red Fallujah, a doctor's memoir at war. I will break his balls a little bit because I did check it out. He does not read the Audible, unlike you. Oh, his, uh, yeah, you, you got it. You, it. That's why I would highly recommend an Audible, The Range Away <laughs> and The Patriot's Creed, because first of all, they're great books. But second yeah. of all, I, I, and, I, I, and I'm not tooting my own horn because I, I'm, I try to be as humble as possible, but I, I think they are excellent books. And you get to hear my melodi- my melodious voice in in the read. So um, yeah, but uh, definitely we'll get with with Doc's book too, and and all the great military books out there. I always recommend to to the Audible books uh, for any military genre uh, reading. That's my thing. So yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, and I, I mean I'll give credit to Chris as someone who has several books that I've read on Audible. Yeah, you do. Not easy to record no. full audiobooks. So. <laughs> That is why a lot of people go with voice actors because they don't want to go to the studio and spend hours upon hours. We're correcting every single mistake. So Chris, put the work in. You guys might want to check that out if you haven't already. Uh, With Audible, you can always find the perfect title for whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, and whatever you're feeling. Audible allows you to find audiobooks that will inspire, delight, help, or simply entertain you. With Audible, you can listen while working from home, cooking, exercising, on a walk, as a family activity, or just relaxing. And now, with the new Plus catalog, an Audible membership is so much more valuable as it gives all members a chance to listen to and discover new favorites and new formats, like the exclusive Words Plus music series or a podcast you never considered before. With the free Audible app on your smartphone or tablet, you can download titles and listen offline, anytime, anywhere, Audible can help people with their own personal goals, whether they want to learn something new, get more books in their life while doing other things, focus on mind and body and wellness, or simply enjoy a well-deserved diversion. You set your own goals and let Audible help you reach them. New members can always try Audible for free for 30 days, so you have nothing to lose. So join me on my Audible adventure and Chris as well. You will always be able to find the perfect title for you. Simply visit battlelinepodcast.com slash audible that's battlelinepodcast.com slash a-u-d-i-b-l-e battlelinepodcast.com slash audible i got one thing to make on audible guys a point to make if you're looking for 13 hours which is the other book that we co-wrote but mitchell zukoff who actually did the read on it make sure if you're getting the audible of 13 hours that it is says narrated by mitchell zukoff if you get the other one it's actually in german so you got to look oh, wow. and make sure, yeah, yeah just to be clear, and, and I'm sure it's a great read in German, but if you're not fluent in, Ger- fluent in German, <laughs> you're not going to Which I have not. So, so <laughs> just, and it's just a note, guys, and, and that's why an Audible do take, make sure you take a look when you're looking at books on there, that they're, you know, you recognize the narration, or if it's the author, of course, then it's narrated in, you know, the, the language that the author is, is well-versed in or whatever the book's written in. So, uh, but yeah, Audible's tremendous. Check them out, guys, and especially you guys that drive out there. That's what you need to keep you awake. It's people that are talking and, and listening to, to great reads like, you know, Code Red Fallujah and 13 Hours and The Ranger Way and The Patriots Creek. So 
tremendous, tremendous job. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on, Battleline Podcast. Uh, really got great response on on last episode. The one thing I was thinking is we didn't really get a chance to get into that you just did a Battleline course yeah. uh, in Louisiana. Next one is in Fort Scott, Texas. Uh, Fort, Fort Worth, Worth Texas. Fort Worth, yeah. yeah. Uh, from November 20th to November 21st. And uh, yeah, I'm thinking of Fort Scott, our uh, our our munition spot. So, you know, yeah. I get I get mixed up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Fort Worth, Texas. So how how did the Louisiana? Oh, it was great. No, it's tremendous. We, uh, you know, 15 people we had, which is a good course, especially for stress fire courses out there. Uh, we're, we're stress fire. Uh, uh, what we do when we call it a stress fire course, it's it's not necessarily stressing you out with people yelling at you or and intimidation tactics. I, I don't think that's necessary in open enrollment classes, even though there's a lot of, lot of, a lot of classes or like the go ruck that you have out there where they try to intimidate you to stress you out to make it like a vetting course or an indoctrination, whether it's selection or ranger indoctrination or, ra- or you simulate that to me, it, stress is getting that heart rate up and working when you're sweating and working when there's, you know, there's sweat in your eyes and, and, and your bun, your your muscles at the end of the day are aching and and so forth and and so there's a lot of running that that I implement into it and we had a lot of law enforcement guys I love it Desoto we we the the course was at the Desoto Parish they're out of Shreveport Louisiana and they get a lot of their local you know half the half the class was law enforcement which to me says a lot for the the, the training which is hey, it's good training because these guys are avid shooters and then the other ones that did, that did that came along with it they were returnees from past battle line courses so they had been shooting a lot which is what we need it's more of an advanced course but it, it and it's fun because they really get after it so when you're with a bunch of classes that oblige the students that love to train that love to shoot that Love to get out there and run and sweat and just power through the adversity. And it was hot, man. Shreveport, it's 90, 90 degrees still down there. It was humid, wow. which I love. Uh, it, it was awesome. It motivates me. I'll tell you what, though. I was. It took me about a day to recover. I was beat up. Now, I wear my body armor. I, we're Gladiator Solutions, tremendous body armor company. And um, I wear my body armor the whole day there. And the reason I do it, I don't expect the students to do it, but I, I always was in the leadership mindset that I couldn't ask anybody to do anything that I wasn't willing to do myself or that I haven't done before. And, you know, I, I expect 
guys to get after it and run. And if I'm out there all day and I'm running with everybody. So now granted Jeremy Mitchell is out there. Ben Morgan's out there. They helped me a little bit. One of the sheriffs out is out there. Uh, Dusty, he's tremendous. That helps OC the course or helps be an RSO range safety officer out there that helps and gives me, gives me breaks, but I run all the drills with them. And to me that just, Hey, as an instructor, I'm willing to get in there with you. I'm willing to shoot with you. Hey, I'm going to make a mistake sometime. But also, if I'm asking you to do a lot of work, you're seeing that I'm doing it with you. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. And and it, it just you know, it brings the class together. So at the end of the class, like it's more of a it's not even a class anymore. It's like a team. And and it's, it's fun. I, I had a blast. And that's why the battle line has been a great company and, and we've been doing a great job and I've got great instructors that help help us out. But also we go to great ranges like out there in Shreveport, Red River Gun Range and the DeSoto Sheriffs. And and then also, you know, when we go to Divide Defense out there at Crete and so forth. So uh, tremendous, tremendous fun course and a lot of shooting, great workout, wearing body armor all day and running all around the range. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I felt great. I felt, I felt like I, we had accomplished something, which is, I think, at the end of any course or class, that's how you want to get. You want to feel like you've accomplished something. So, yeah, tremendous. That's awesome, man. So so Fort Worth, Texas is the mm. final course of the year. Yeah, come on out. If you want to come out, yeah, November 20th to November uh, 21st. Or, yeah, November 20th, 20th and 21st. I'm yeah. uh, just looking at this on, on my schedule here. And, um, yeah, tontosgearlocker.com. You can sign up now. Have a blast, guys. You got, you won't regret that one. That one's the end of the year course. A lot of interaction. Sorry, you have to interact with me a little bit. So a lot of interaction with me. And also the, the range, there's tremendous. The people that run it are tremendous. And we'll have Ben there. Morgan will be there. I'm probably going to bring Chris Doner down. It looks like he's our knife instructor. So you're going to get some tremendous knife training as well ed- wow. as, as weapon, which knife guys don't like to call it that. They call it edge weapons training. I guess it's more PC. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, whatever. <laughs> but he was my instructor at, uh, in edge weapons and also RBWI, Robert Bussey World International Training, uh, martial art training. And the guy is like Harry Potter on steroids is what he <laughs> looks like. He's, he's the nicest guy in the world. He walks in the room. He's got the glasses on. He looks like Harry Potter if Harry Potter hit the gym all the time. So, um, <laughs> uh, but you guys will love him. And, and so uh, looking at bringing him down for that as well. But then also with me and Ben, we'll do a lot of pistol shooting. And then like last year, we'll throw some scenarios in. So you actually get a taste of what it's like to, to actually apply these fundamentals with a pistol or with an edge weapon trying to simulate a real, real life situation. So it's not just on the range. You actually have to use your head and, Hey, should I pull my pistol out here or should I just leave and get the hell out of Dodge? And you have to make those decisions. And it really puts things into perspective that it's not just going out and shooting at the range. We're teaching these things to you. So if you ever are faced with that, that adversity or faced with that situation, out in the real world at a, at a shopping mall or at a, you know, at a restaurant, you see how you react. And then, you know, you based off those reactions, you either change them or you reinforce them if it was a positive reaction. So it's a great course, a lot of fun, a lot of interaction. I, I highly recommend everyone to come to that last course and it's our last course of the year. So battle line, it's fun for us because we try to bring everybody in just so we can everybody, so we can enjoy each other's company since we all don't train at every course, uh, at, throughout the battle line, uh, throughout the battle line schedule throughout the year. 
Yeah, so you know what I was uh, going to say on on another note, and one, once again, check out TontosGearLocker.com yeah. to sign Thanks. up for that. So as I said, last uh, episode got a lot of great feedback. There were a lot of people listening for the first time, um, and you could see that on all our social media because I was kind of curious. I posted a jingle truck because yeah. Alana <laughs> kept mentioning them, and I mean, they were really interesting to see because I'd never seen anything like <laughs> it despite you know the, the little bit of world travel that I've done. But a question a few listeners asked that I didn't have an answer to, and I, you, I would assume you have an answer yeah, to, yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. what exactly are they? They were like, they, what is the purpose of these? They are, you know, they look like a truck you would see in a circus. They are just decorated with, now they're called jingle trucks because back in the day, and they still do, they have chains hanging off. Them. Yeah. So when they drive down the road, they jingle, jingle or they, but now they have, I, honestly, it looks like your dad's worst velvet shag carpet covered in a truck. <laughs> But, the, but when the, I when I uh, googled it, apparently it was like U.S. military members who gave them the name. It's, yeah, Park. yeah, it's it's slang from us. It, it wasn't yeah. I, from what I mean. If it came earlier than when we were started going to country, then I I didn't. But I don't I, think it was from. I, like, yeah, it. from what I understand and from my experience, I didn't even know what a jingle truck was until I got in the country and guys that had been there started calling them jingle trucks. And then you look at them and it makes sense. It fits. And when they drive. They make sounds, but you know, and they also have some of them have the old bobble, you know, the bobblehead, the bobblehead dolls, yeah. and, sure. and and then they do have like the little the little dingle balls that you'd find on cheap carpet that you know the little they hang on the truck. I mean, they're just decorated out. Some of them are quite, I mean, they're uglier than hell, but they're <laughs> but they still are cool because they're just colors. They're just full of colors, and then you see people. I mean, you see people. They're, they're they ride all over that thing. So there'll be some in the cart, then there'll be some up on top of it, then there'll be some hanging on the back. It's it is kind of a cool experience. And when she was mentioning it, I was always smiling because I would remember the ones we'd always see in Afghanistan. And it was it sucked because they drove slower than shit. And they <laughs> if you had a single lane road, you couldn't get around them, so you're stuck there. And then you feel like a target because you're going so slow around this truck that you can see for five miles from the from the damn space space needle up in this because they're so brightly colored and but you know it's like man those things were cool and they're just people sometimes they just were covered with people just just holding on for a free ride um and and they're you know they're used like anything else they're used to haul stuff they're just used to store stuff and haul stuff it's like uh samson and uh, what's it what's what's the old uh the old uh, show with um red fox Oh, um, uh, Sanford and Son. Yeah, Sanford and Son. It's like uh, it's like a Sanford and Son, tr- like like a garbage collection, not garbage, but um, old furniture, old stuff collection truck that drives all over Afghanistan. I mean, I, in my head, I would hear the Sanford and Son <laughs> theme music whenever I'd I see the truck. Yeah, <laughs> and that's about how fast it went too. At about the I'll still, I'll still put that audio under. You, you should have find it. Uh, but so to answer the question, though, I guess there's there's really no purpose. It's just purely decoration. No, I mean, as far as well, it, it, there's religious, some religious, impl- religious reasons. Well, yeah, I for did it. see like the, yeah. the um, front windshield would have something with Allah. You'd have like you know. Masha Allah or yeah, or, you know, in God or uh, Allah, what's a Masha Allah, God willing, or, you know, it would always be something about God, Allah. Uh, or uh, Masha Allah is the one I usually saw. I never, you never really saw Allah Akbar because that maybe it was back in the day, 
But, you know, when terrorism started happening, that kind yeah. of became the terror. So you don't really see that because that would we see Allah Akbar on a window and some Joe private with a 50 cal in the back of a Humvee would be like, oh, Allah Akbar, my <laughs> OK, but not to shoot him. But like, holy shit. What's, you know, but um, it nearly was. It was generally something it, it had something to do with with Islam. And and yeah, a lot of them did have like stickers. They got window stickers. You can go get window stickers and decals anywhere in the Middle East, anywhere from. Iraq to Afghanistan to Libya. I mean, just drive down and, and get window stickers. That's like a big thing down there. And they would put it right in the front window. And then they said they would have something, whether it was not, not like a, like a, the Muslim uh, symbol. Like we have, we have the crucifix for, for yeah. Christian and yeah, the uh, crescent. Yeah. The, yeah. But um, they would have symbols in there because it was, it was like the more decorated, the more it had, the more it was protected. It was a, it was more protected on the road. So there would, and there's always accidents. It's those accidents over there, especially in some of the mountains. I mean, just a rollover like here, no big deal, but there, you know, you roll over, you're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of deaths going in car accidents and it protected the truck. So that's why I had all that on there too. So yeah, it was beautiful to cut, but you're right. The colors and then there's all the symbols on it were for protection for, you know, and for a good life and for safe travel you know, in the jingle truck. Cause they're going all over the place in some of the shittiest places, shittiest roads in the country. And as we had from Alana told you, and she's spot on those roads, are some of those roads when you get up in the mountains are pretty fucking hairy. And a lot of them are just single roads. So when you meet up together, it's like, okay, well just barely getting by each other. So one didn't go off the side of the mountain. So yeah, that's the, but wow. yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just a different life. I said we take our lives for granted here. We have a great life in America. Just a simple daily driving your daily route to pick up to pick up old furniture and whatever you find on the side of the road. You could die not not from war or combat, just because the roads are so shitty. <laughs> it was just so. I don't know, man. It's, it 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 makes me smile because I, I still remember Afghanistan. There was always something around the corner, whether it was a bomb or whether it was just meeting a jingle truck coming at you head on. There was always something around the corner that made life there just exciting, but also made you you made it made you happy to be honestly happy to be an American and happy to live in the United States, but happy to be experiencing all that. And that's that's why I kept going back. I just like man, I just got to go keep going back. I I miss that. I miss I miss seeing jingle trucks. I did be cool to see yeah I, I saw she said the same thing so yeah. it was just interesting for me as someone who never saw it before googling it and going because I, I was wondering and i said <laughs> oh okay so this is what they're talking about it was something <laughs> i'd never seen um we we got to get to dr donnelly wilkes very excited to have him on uh but before we do i actually just ended up mentioning fort scott munitions and you hear them on board with us every show if you've been listening to the show since the beginning you know all about fort scott munitions and you probably shoot with them by now and uh yeah, you're probably converted to using this as your ammo. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it will be a top contender for hunters alike. 
with the ammunition being CNC spun. The tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. And if you go to their website every now and again, they're able to sell you some ammo in bulk. And when you use our promo code, you'll get a tremendous discount. Um, you know, like the last time yeah. they did this on, on bulk, you'd get a, uh, $100 off. I mean, that's a great deal. So check them out. Go to the dealer locator, though, and find wherever they're selling ammo by you, especially if you're not looking to buy in bulk. That's the way to go. FortScottMunitions.com. And then uh, in addition to that discount that you'll yep. get on bulk ammo when they have it, you also get that same discount on any of their merch, their hats, T-shirts, which are all great, very high quality. Yep. Um, so use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. And uh, also while you're shooting with that ammo, we got to talk about the greatest night vision out there. They're another uh, long, long-time sponsor of ours now. They're going to be uh, with us for a while, and we love what they do. If you check out the show with Phil Otto, we get into a little bit more detail about why they're putting out the best products in night vision. Uh, Photonis Defense is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonis defense systems to make their adventures safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonis defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonis Defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD Pro B16 millimeter binocular and the PD Pro M16 millimeter monocular to the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you've used previously. I'm looking forward to uh, actually hanging with these guys at SHOT Show. And chances are, if people are at SHOT Show, they'll see you at the booth, right? Yeah, and, and you'll get to know Phil, Phil Otto. Uh, he was in that last video that we did. For, actually, yep, speaking yep. of that, Fort Scott and Photonis put on that video uh, that we did, the funny video where we go in yeah. and steal the – but that's Phil Otto is, is who we had on the show. He was the one that was in – that was clearing the rooms with me, former GRS operator, former Marine. And, uh, yeah, I said former Marine. Get over it, Marines. I said <laughs> Uh, but uh, you'll get to talk to him. He's the biggest goof in the bigger than me, just the goof. And, and, and you'll see though, he does know what the hell he's talking about. The gear is good, but the people as themselves as a company, just generally, just like for Scott, generally, just generally good people, just good people that are passionate about their product. Don't take themselves too seriously, but take their product seriously and know how to laugh. So yeah, I highly recommend go check out their products and then also talk to Phil and, just he's quick on his humor. So you got to you got to stay with it man, because it'll get by you. He'll say something, some smart ass comment and it'll go by you and you'll laugh like, well, wait a second. He was talking about me. And then because well, I, I could see just from my interaction with him, it's like a dry delivery. Yeah. But it's, yeah, <laughs> it is. So um, check out Vatanis Defense. Best night vision out there, guys. If you're in law enforcement, military, if you're using somebody else, I highly recommend to at least look at them, check their stuff out. Um, and I, I, I would put dollars to donuts. You'll switch from whoever you're using right now to photonist defense. So, uh, and then when you get to know them, you'll be like, okay, we made the right decision. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely great stuff. 
good people and I mean, just proud to have him part of the podcast and also sponsor of also Battleline Tactical of the of my training company. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, for I, I'm proud to have him on board too. I mean, I think it gives us credibility to have yeah. night vision. And as Jade Struck said on the episode with us, and I think she's right. She's like, I think you guys are the only podcast with a night vision sponsor. <laughs> yeah, take I'm that. I'm proud of that. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> but that, that's, so, uh, right. that's right. That's how we roll. We got to be the we're the trendsetters, man. That's how it is. <laughs> I think so. I think in that sense, I mean, I like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've heard other stuff with ammo. I I've not heard anyone else advertising night vision, let alone the best night vision out there. So yep. visit photonistdefense.com. Uh, the link is in the description, but I'll spell it out for you guys. Of course, p h o t o n i s defense.com for more information. Or look for Photonist Defense product options from your local night vision dealer. Or if you're at SHOT Show, come say hi to them. I I am looking forward to hanging with them. I think Phil is who's going to get me into SHOT Show. uh, So I'm very excited for it. Check them out once again, photonistdefense.com. Joining us on the podcast for the first time is, actually, you know what I was thinking of this, Chris? The first, like, MD, the first actual medical doctor on the podcast. We've We've had people with doctorates. But like, if I have a heart issue, I'm not calling Dr. Dale Comstock. None. I'm calling <laughs> Dr. Donnelly Wilkes. Um, <laughs> so uh, Code Red Fallujah is the book, A Doctor's Memoir at War. And actually, the first thing I have to say, and I did get into the book uh, to some extent, is just the cover itself. This is a badass cover. If I see this at the airport or at the bookstore, I am picking it up. And uh, I really appreciate you personally yeah. signing it for, for both of us as well. You bet. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. And I love the cover as well. The publisher knocked it out of the park on the first try. So thanks for that. Uh, that's good. And, and you know, Chris, before I'm sorry, I'll let you get into everything. Uh, I want to make sure I at least give like a, pro- a proper introduction to, to who Dr. Wilkes is. So Navy physician, graduate of Tulane School of Medicine, two combat tours in Iraq and uh, 04 and 08, awarded the Navy Commendation Medal with Valor and the current president and medical director of Summit Health Group. I just wanted to make sure I got that out there. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, it sounds like you've done a few things here or there. Maybe a couple, <laughs> couple things kept you busy. And, and uh, are, are you now are, are you going to write any more books? I said, that's my first thing. Just get that out of the way. Yeah. Or, or are you done? Is this it? I don't know. I, I won't say no. I won't say yes. I'm just kind of enjoying the ride, you know, seeing where this takes me. Uh, I wrote the book initially on the second tour to help pass some of the time. It was therapeutic, you know, that kind of thing. And then over the years, it's just kind of taken on its own wheels. I I didn't think I was going to be able to get it published because getting a book published is feels yeah. like harder, harder to do that than get, get into medical <laughs> school. <to be> <laughs> so I'm just loving it and seeing what happens. Uh, it, it well again it, it it was very I thought it was very well done. Um, I, I actually was a contractor. I started contracting with Blackwater when you guys actually Helvis. Uh, that was the time I was there. I wasn't in Fallujah. I was in Baghdad with the Helvestin and 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 Zok uh, and uh, Slavic and 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 uh, I mean Zavko and, and the guys. But um, you know, I, reading it, and I getting right into it. You know. I, what what made you i mean what made you want to and did did you want to go i mean i i didn't catch that if you wanted to go i didn't know if you had to go but was you were you itching inside was something like you know people say it's patriotism people say you know and there's different feelings but 
were you ready to go? It was like, man, I gotta, I, I gotta go do be. And back then, you know, some, it was something bigger. We did feel like it was Patriot. It does. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go fight terrorism. Or were you like, holy shit? No, I'm, now I, I get. We got it. I got in the clover leaf, so I understand. You had some reflections back then, but when you first got there, was it? Yeah, let's go do this. Or was it? Holy shit! What did I? <laughs> what did I get myself into? It, it was all of that, and maybe I should give your listeners just a brief pathway to. Yeah, no, please, please, please. So f- for me, you know, I joined the Navy on a Navy scholarship uh, to to help pay for medical school. I also kind of did feel it was my calling to to join the service at some point, and to be able to do that as a physician was a real honor for me, and it fit me. You know, um, just serving my country and and being able to join the military fit me. And so I was able to do that as a doctor. That was a dream. And yet I never could have um, imagined where I would end up because I joined pre-9-11. And there was no Navy brochure for what happens to a Navy doctor post 9-11 for anybody, of course. Yeah, yeah. So my brochure was, hey, doc, you know, we'll pay for school and you'll float around on a ship maybe in the Pacific and end up in Japan or Guam or something cool like that. So 9-11 changed all that, of course, as it did for a lot of people. I was in my fourth year of medical school. And at that time, I had obtained my residency of choice after graduation at Camp Pendleton Naval Hospital. Oh, wow. And so, you know, the plan was I'd go to Pendleton, spend three years there, finishing residency as a Navy physician, and then and then serve my time. You got to go to San Diego. I get to go to. That's going to be great. I get to go to San Diego, finish my residency, still be in the sun and the ocean. That's fantastic. (laughs) So fast forward within a year and a half of graduation, you know, they plucked me out of residency after one year of internship. And, you know, any doctor will tell you, you are just a baby doctor still after, you know, just one year of internship. And in fact, all civilian doctors to practice independently, they have to complete their entire residency. That's at least three to four years. Military, um, that rules different. Wartime, yeah. pluck you out, send you to combat, and that's what happened to me. I, and I, I read that. I, I didn't know that till I saw it in the book, in your book. I was like, holy! Yeah. Oh, so you mean all these doctors that were working on me really <laughs> were just? In, oh, that's awesome. Okay, it's oh. good to know now. <laughs> so, <laughs> to be honest, most were probably more experienced. Um, but I give the Navy and the Marine Corps a lot of credit. They trained me well. You know, you you may have read in the book, we did a lot of, you know, combat medical training and it was awesome. You know, here I am a young, you know, physician. I'm going out with the Marines on Camp Pendleton on mock night raids with, you know, targets out in the field and I'm right along with them and and I'm becoming an expert in combat medicine. And it was thrilling. Now, fast forward a few months later and you asked me if I if I asked for it, that kind of thing. I did ask to go with the Marines. Um, you can go blue side or green side, you know, blue side, you're on a sure. ship typically green side with the Marines. I wanted to do that. It, it seemed to fit me. And my battalion just happened to get the call to go to Fallujah. Sure. And I didn't know that when I joined the battalion, but in short order, you know, that 2003 to 2005 corridor, yeah. that's yeah. when things went haywire in, in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. That's where a lot of the other books come from, you know, American uh, sniper and lone survivor and those kind of things. So our battalion, within a few months, we're, we're positioned right outside Fallujah. Um, General Mattis flies in, gives us orders late at night. And next thing you know, within 24 hours, the attack's begun. And I move forward to the Cloverleaf 
where I was uh, positioned for three weeks to receive combat casualty. And is that where it wouldn't be called a cash then, right? It just was a, a troop met, uh, just a collection, casualty collection point. It's just a it, huge casualty collection point is what it was. Well, yeah. And it, it was, it was just literally a field battalion aid station. Okay. We, we okay. you know, left our, our forward operating base. We loaded up supplies in, in a convoy. And as you know, the battalion pushed into Fallujah, we just posted up right there under that freeway overpass. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we had a, a few Marines for um, for security, and uh, that's where we lived as the battle kind of played out, and we'd receive casualties usually by Humvee right to that that position. And the unique, you know, part of it, you know, for your readers is there just, you know, there haven't been a whole um, a lot of instances where you know physicians for me had pushed forward that much to be that proximal to a battle. Sure. We saw it play out attack helicopters coming through, tanks rolling in, combat casualty coming to me, bombs exploding in the background. We got mortared. We got rocketed, you know, right there. And there was just a handful of Navy docs that, you know, had, I'm going to say, the honor of that experience because I got to practice my craft. There was plenty of, you know, um, doctors doing tons of heroic things a few of us that close to urban combat. And that was kind of the unique part of my story. Uh, and it, it is. And before, I mean, we could delve and I'm going to have some questions about, I quite, but go into, you know, your faith. And I, I get that. I, I, I completely under, understand, understand a, a lot of that aside from the medical stuff, um, yeah. which I, I never, you know, I never was a medic. I was just guy, I'm, I'm one of the guys that if I ever saw you, I was like, yeah, please save my life. Dude. <laughs> I need you. I need you doc. But you know, if, if you could, um, what I, you know, get at, get out. And I think maybe some of the people that are interested in going on the medical side of the house, whether they want to go to be a PA or a full MD, or they want to go to the, the 18 Delta side, which I worked alongside. That's who trained me on when I was downrange. The Deltas would put us together and we could do goat labs downrange. We couldn't do them in the States, but we could do, and man, learning on live. Wow. The, the difference, but the training, you know, you talked about the training that you did at, out at Pendleton and did you go out to 29 Palms or did you head out in the desert? But tell the difference. What was the biggest difference? Or maybe give us a scenario if you could. I'd like to hear one. Be honest with you. This is bringing back a lot of yeah. this. this is awesome. One of your training scenarios and maybe how it prepares you. But then and I know it's different. I know it's different. I do. But I, I want to make sure the listeners know what was the biggest difference between the training, even if they could put you under massive amount of duress that when you're actually wearing the shit, I mean, that, okay, wait a second. I got trained well here, but holy shit, this is what we, and maybe you went in back and, you know, do an AR. Let's say you're going to do an AR to commander and say, hey, I want to add this into the real, and you probably already did, doc. I bet you did. Um, what could we add, put in differently to make it even more realistic? But I do, I, I want to hear about how you prepared your training did, but how it didn't prepare you as well. Uh, and how you saw that once you got, once you got, well, once those bullet, bombs and bullets started flying around you, as you're trying to practice your trade. So yeah, please go into that. And I, actually, I'm, I'm like a little girl, little girl right now. I'm, I'm digging this. Go, please. Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you just a quick background on some of the training that we do. Uh, we went out to, you know, Texas, for example, to combat okay. the care course. And we spend a few days in the field and um, that, that uh, course out there, you know, they would, um, they would make you spend a few days, you know, living in, in, in out in Texas, kind of, you know, in, the, in an austere environment. And then it, it would be a mock war, you know, for three days 
where they would, you know, have moulage, you know, um, wow. injured Marines yep, yep, or, yep. or soldiers, and you would have to take care of them, medevac them. You would eat and sleep out in the field and things like that. So they try to make it as real as they could. They'd even have, you know, um, audibles of, of incoming mortars and things okay. like that. Okay. They'd keep you from sleeping so you understood what it was like to, you know, be under that pressure. So that was great. We'd go to, I spent some time at USC County Hospital in Los Angeles with the trauma team. Wow. That was amazing. The Navy has a little campus right there outside of USC County Hospital. You live there for a month and you go on and into the worst of the worst um, trauma calls. So I'd be with the surgeons, you know, treating gunshots, stabbings and those kind okay. of things and going into surgery with them. The best part about that was being able to practice some of those field surgical procedures like putting a chest tube in a, in a um, you know, sure. soldiers and Marines chest to relieve um, attention, pneumothorax, air around the lungs. And and you were seeing that at the L.A. County. Is it, you're getting yeah. a good training at the L.A. County yeah. for the, the, yeah, those attention pneumothorax. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did chest tubes. Um, we we had a lab there where we could practice, you know, the crikes or tracheotomies, you might call them, to establish an airway. And um and that was great too. And then, you know, in Okinawa, before we got to Iraq, we practiced on pigs and we'd set them up and do chest tubes <laughs> and airways and things like that and cut downs. And that kind of training on, on live tissue is the best training you could get. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, 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 I got to keep going. Cause I got a story. This is yeah. yours, but man, you're, <laughs> this is dig, I'm digging this. Keep going. Keep going, doc. Sorry about that. And then just to kind of, you know, answer your next question, what, couldn't it prepare me for? And I think this is just the nature of the beast. Nothing can prepare you for taking those skills and practicing medicine and then being propelled into this field environment out in the Middle East um, in a desert or remote, you know, um, uh, Iraqi village where the, it, the environment just challenges you beyond anything you can replicate back home, the heat wearing a flak jacket, my helmet, and the the dust, and then throw combat into the background, maybe some incoming mortars, or a couple times we got hit with rockets, sure. and it's like ballet with a bull. It's <laughs> this beast, and you can't control it, but you yeah. got to ride it, and you got to understand it and learn how to work within it, or it will destroy you. And that's what I had to do um, to really just be able to endure my personal, sure. you know, mm -hmm. physically and mentally is understand that beast and be able to to make peace with it at some point so I could practice what I knew best how to do in that environment. And that's that's tough. I mean, I, I can't imagine I, I had a hard enough time putting in IVs with night vision in a controlled setting because I'm a stupid infantry guy. But I it was but just you just something simple like that that you just you could do automatically. You're just I, you're you're that talented because of the training but also you talk about the live tissue that we, uh, me and uh, uh, my, my buddy, my partner, who's a 10 special forces group guy. We we're over in Afghanistan doing a crank on a goat, practicing doing goat labs yeah. and how easy it is. You don't have to cut the, 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 you don't have to cut the, uh, the jugular. You don't have to cut just all those veins in there. And if you slip just a little bit and you're doing that at night or you're doing that under and see to me, I, I said, I admire, I admire, that's why I call you doc. Doc's a respect. That's, that's my yeah. respect to you. I don't, you're, you're a doc. I love it. And um, because 
to me, you know, I, I can go out there and shoot and fight with night vision and run around, but doing those things that I always had a problem with that we had to get trained on that. We usually had a dock or we had our Delta training us on how it was so difficult. And I had to do it in controlled settings for the most part. You know, if it was in that other setting, I throw on a tourniquet and say, okay, tourniquet, he's yours now. To me, it's just amazing. So you're getting into that. You got the training down and Ian, stop me. You know how I get when I start rambling, man. No, go go for it. But, um, (laughs) You know, once you, you, you got in the country and I, I, that was some cool picks, uh, we getting off the country on the tarmac there, but, um, yeah. you know, when did you realize in that in your head, I, I, I know I could sense it in the book, but when did you realize that you weren't in Kansas anymore? Literally. I mean, that, yeah. that you know, like, you're like what, and again, I, I don't want to give the whole book up because I could probably tell in the chapter it is, but I, I really want to dig your brain and like, Hey, really, you know, um, yeah. What sure. what went through your head? What what click? What was there a click or was it? Oh shit! I'm behind the Powerball or here. I I need to catch up or was it? Okay, I was able to switch and go into this. Okay, I'm I'm no longer. I'm 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 really in war now, and I got to get my shit together and save these lives. Yeah, yeah. So you know, certainly training with the Marines for the good six months prior to you know going to Iraq and bonding with those men that, yeah. that made me feel at home and understand, you know, how they operate, what they do, because it, it was a, it was a completely different world. You know, for me, medicine man coming from hospitals and clinics, even on Pendleton being at the Naval hospital, it's so much different from being with you infantry guys and in the field and learning how you live and the language you talk. So I was very much an outsider, <laughs> but you're right. You know, that respect is there. And I love yeah. that part of, of, of living and breathing and learning how to be a part of a Marine Corps battalion. So um, that part was, was, was challenging, but fantastic. Then we went to Okinawa, trained for a few months. The Marines were doing urban um, combat training on, on towns that were replicated to, sure, yeah, yeah. To, to be you know, similar to what they'd see in Iraq. Anyways, then we fly to Kuwait after being in, after um, Okinawa, we're in Kuwait for a few days and then the convoy assembles. And the convoy is, you know, I think we were 50 to 75 vehicles, our entire wow. battalion, wow. entire battalion mobile, band-aids and bullets, everything wow. we needed. And we convoyed for three days from Kuwait yep. all the way up into Iraq. And that was wild. Um, there weren't many battalions that did that, but ours ours did. That's what, what they needed us to do. And, uh, and on that convoy, you know, the, the moment that you asked about, we woke up in the middle of the night. We were just stopping at little outposts. Um, along the way, I described it, it was like the Wild West. You just you'd move on in the middle of nowhere and then you'd come up into I'll call it an outpost. It was to refuel and get some more you know, supplies. And we'd be there for a few hours yep. and move on. And I woke up in the middle of the night and creeped up into the cab where my my corpsmen were driving. And, you know, it's the blackest black of night out in those environments because there's zero light pollution. And there on the horizon are the are the um, oil rigs that Saddam had lit on fire blazing, uh-huh. you know, in the night and we're, we're heading right towards them. And it just kind of in my mind was like, wow, that was on TV back home. And yeah. that was where things were not going well. And we're heading right towards it. So that's that clicked for me, man. That's awesome. And you, you're right. Those nights, especially on route 10, uh, back up and down from Baghdad to, and even near Abu Ghraib at nighttime, used with your night vision on, you could see every freaking star. It was just, it, you're right. It was just, it was almost, it was almost peaceful 
but you knew it wasn't going to be peaceful for long, but just for that second, getting that peacefulness and be like, Holy crap, this is, is this what stars really look like? This is, is, but I, I, now that's awesome. And that's a hell of a drive doc. I tell you what, I'm sure with, yeah, I'm sure your back probably wasn't feeling really good after that, after that drive on that. Now, when you got in and, you know, and talk about your first battle and get into it and the first, the first altercation where you had to, you know, you had to, you had to put your skills to use. So I, and I won't get into the chapter, um, but you know, just going through your head or did you just go into robotic mode? It's like, okay, let's just, I'm just mission mode to turn off the emotions. I just got work to do. Or were you able to, or were you able to do that? Or did your emotions kick in? Cause you're like, okay, this is a kid I've been with. And you may even know him. And this is an infantry guy. You, you say when you, that's the problem with the brotherhood. If it, if it is a problem, you get that tight brotherhood and it's that tightness, but then it's also, it's hard to pull the emotion away from it as well. You can't just, oh, I don't really know this guys, but I'm going to work on them. The emotion isn't there, but the emotion is really there. And, and also does that emotion make it easier or harder because you know the person or you have that, you're right. The, you have that connection now and war, you have that connection with your guys, which is awesome. But then again, you, you can't pull yourself out of that as easily as if you didn't know that person that's laying there, you know, dying on the ground. So yeah. what was that feeling the first time you saw it and, and how did you control your emotions or were you able to, or, or what'd you do? Yeah. You know, so the, the, the first severely wounded Marine that we had to care for, you know, this was shortly after I arrived to the Cloverleaf and the, um, you know, it's yeah. kind of day three ish of the battle in Fallujah. And um, it was a Marine who was brought in by Humvee, and they bring him out of the back and immediately I can see his a massive head wound. I, I can't even believe this man is still alive. And of course, I'm, I'm just kind of asking myself questions of my gosh, I know that this, whether we save him or not, his semblance of, of, or quality of life is going to be next to sure. nothing. Cause head wounds, head wounds are, if, if I'm right, help me out. Head wounds are, I mean, you can sit, hope a lot of things, but if you get a head wound, Yes, really to the extent of of this particular head wound, the the, the massive nature, I, I knew immediately that yeah. um, quality of life was going to be next to nothing. With that said, his Marines are around him, and I know that they need to see nothing but an all-out effort, you know, that we'll do everything every time, no matter what. And so that decision was clear, you know, from the get-go. And then to answer your question, you know, you know what's going on in my mind and how, how do I react I think that's where the training does kick in to where uh, despite there's certainly being this tension and, you know, my, my pulse is going and my mind is racing. You do kind of access this, this file of, okay, here's this skill, got it, boom, access it. And then you go to work. And to a certain extent, you, you just see this, this, um, this Marine as a problem that you're trying to solve because you got to take some of that emotion out, even though I know who this man is so that you can do your best job and you can operate, you know, efficiently and, and fast. And so we just went to work and, um, we, you know, and my corpsman are around me and his Marines are, you know, around him. I, I get them to kind of step back. The battle's still in the background. You know, we can hear it. Other injured Marines are still coming in. Um, we, and I, I won't get into too many details, but, we um, sustain his life for the time we needed to get him to the next level of care, sure. Sure. which we're, I was very proud of, but he, 
uh, he died not too long after he left the next level of care. And um, we, we would find these things out, you know, as the radio traffic would come back, my corpsman and myself and some of the Marines, Marines, of course, would be, you know, devastated at the loss, but I, I let them know that they performed bravely and did a fantastic job and we did our job. So those, that would be the, uh, you know, the ebb and flow. And then we'd get minor wounds and things like that and gunshot wounds and we'd patch them up and those Marines would get back in the fight and that would get us pumped up, you know, to see those warriors doing their thing. That's awesome. There's triumphs and tragedies amidst the way, but that's war, you know, that's that's what it is. I understand. And I I really do. I understand. And and what you said about there by, when they came in and, and they needed to see some positiveness, even, even though in your heart, you're like, man, I, I don't know if I could, that is fucking awesome. I, I, I remember seeing that with some of my teammates that did that for me. One was over a dead body. He, I, we all knew, but we had a guy going into shock and one of my seal teammates trying to save him, even though he knew that he was dead just to get, a guy back out of his shock because we needed him as a team and trying to stay positive in the worst situations. To me, that's leadership exemplified. I mean, that is, and that is freaking awesome because, because I don't think people realize war that that is a lot of times that's half, half of it is right there because confidence breeds confidence and you're showing confidence. But if you show depression or you show panic, that's like throwing gasoline on a fire too. And by what you did, just that, whether you knew it or not, I mean, I get chills thinking about that right there because I remember just that little action of somebody, even though in a situation that he knew was really not going to come out well, still staying positive. It pumped me up. It got my morale like, all right, all right, well, fuck it. This is, we're still in this game. Let's, let's keep fighting. Let's keep yeah. damning. And also it made me confident with a guy like yourself, like Doc's got her back and no matter what happens to me, he's going to try to save my life. I'm, I'm in good hands. So, and Sorry to say it allowed us to be a little bit more reckless. <laughs> with our, it's like, well, shit, he's got me. Fuck it. Let's go. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you know, and, and going in and you're at the club because explain to the listeners a little bit more. Again, read the book, guys. You got to read this book. But um, what the clover leaf was in relation to Fallujah, you know, yeah. you know, because Fallujah you know, Fallujah and the operation you're in in April, that wasn't a massive, I mean, it was like a constricting move coming from all angles and where you guys were at uh, with limited security. I mean, honestly, if I was a terrorist, I would, if I was in charge of them, I would have targeted you guys all day because yeah. like, shit, they're there. And that's their, that's their lifeline right there. Let's take them out. But they weren't, they didn't. So it's good. They didn't at least not for that. They could have, but um, explain the Coverleaf and, and, um, you know, just maybe a daily, your daily activity, just in a cloverleaf. Once, once the battles really started going on, you, you wrote about it extremely well. So don't go into it too much because I want people to read the book, but a little bit and your mindset, maybe stuff that you didn't mention in the book that you wish you would have um, sure. on those days there. Yeah, you got it. So uh, the cloverleaf was just a, you know, a well-known strategically ideal position just to the east of Fallujah. Fallujah kind of was, is west of Baghdad, roughly an hour or so, sits in that Sunni triangle area. And um, there's, a, there's a main highway heading into Fallujah. And one of the highway intersections close to the outskirts of the city 
uh, is called the cloverleaf. And that's simply because from above it, like when you're in a helicopter, the on-ramp and off-ramps look like a cloverleaf. And um, that was the main artery into Fallujah. So for the Marines, it was a very valuable um, uh, point to be able to control because they would send in tanks, supplies, Marines, and, ev and evacuate the wounded uh, on that highway. So we were positioned there, uh, our battalion aid station in the dirt right off of the side of the highway. We had a, we had the uh, cement uh, under, you know, overpass yep. above us. We had some dirt HESCO barriers, you know, that they'd fill up with dirt and rock to help uh, protect us from incoming uh, fire. And we would get indirect fire. You know, you asked what a day was like, probably almost, almost daily, some mortars, sometimes they landed, you know, 500 yards away. Other times they, they hit right in the on-ramp. Wow. And, and it would just knock you off your feet. Yeah. Wow. One time they hit a rocket right smack on the money, close enough to, to knock us on our feet. And I'll tell you what, nothing nothing can describe what that feels like when you knew that that rocket was meant for you. Yeah, wow. right, right there you feel that. It is sort of, you do see overpressure if it's big enough. I remember some of the car bombs that they tried to hit us in Baghdad. And you, you actually do see that shockwave. You do see that, oh shit. But you always feel it. Whether it's an RPG, I remember RPG hit pretty close to me. It was, luckily I was on, hit this side and I was on this side of the building. So the blast went that way, but I caught and like, oh, man, that, that yeah. felt kind of funky. All right. That was cool. All right. But um, brother, you know, amazing, amazing when you were there, I know the book gets a little bit into faith and, and I love, I love that because you do have to finally just say, God, it's in your hands. You know, I, right. and I remember doing that in 04, which I read, I read a prayer every morning, the prayer before battle which it said, if I die in this battlefield today, may I die at peace with you. And I had to accept that it took me a while, but yeah. once I accepted that that might be a possibility, I was able, actually able to work better. I, Cause it was like, right. you got this. So can you go a little bit? Cause you have a good chapter in there about that. Yeah. And, 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 we, and the book, and I should throw out there, the book does quote yeah. Bible scripture and all Faith. that, which it's not, you know, like an over the top preachy book or anything no, like no, that. No, but no, you get into that faith is a part of your life and you being a Christian and you being in this scenario where they're probably, were probably was the hardest to have faith. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Ian. Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, I, I decided with the book, I'm going to just put my entire self out there. And, um, and, and that was not only therapeutic for me, but I think helped paint the picture of where I was. And I clearly, you know, detailed that, despite my faith and, and things like that, there were some major periods of challenges where I was pissed off at God, asked some serious questions yeah. and questioned myself, you know, because we're all human. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, there's a lot of heroes out there, but most of them, you know, go through their peaks and valleys just like everybody else. And so I struggled at, at certain points, the magnitude of death I was seeing, the forward position that I found myself in, despite despite my, my life's path leading me towards this every step of the way, there just came some moments where I couldn't believe like, really, really, this is of all, of all the battalions, I'm in the one that's in Fallujah, you know, <laughs> and um, I was reconciling with that. And um, that, that, that took a little time, just like you said, yeah. Chris, and there came that night, I call it, I called it the spiritual reckoning where I realized I was hanging on too tight. 
just like Maverick and Top Gun. Yeah. And I had, I had to, I just had to release something and figure out what that was. And it was the fact that I'm not steering the ship. You're not in control. We, we have, as humans, we think we're in control and we got to let go of that control. That's what I took from it. It's like, uh, man, he, 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 he real is just like, I, I had to as well. Again, I'm, I'm, that's, that's pride and not the good pride. That's one of the deadly sins pride. I'm in control. No, you're not in control. And let's let God take control of this. And I, I, I I really, I mean, that just resonated me when I read this, like, holy yeah, I, I, I've been there. I I feel that I know what he did. And, And you did an awesome, and it sounds like after, from what I was reading, honestly, you even got better and you did, you did. But, you know, how hard was it, though, to, to let go of that control? I, you know, how really, hard. really? I, didn't, I didn't want to, you know, and that's yeah. human nature. And that's OK. But I think once you kind of when you reflect inward and, you know, you kind of see because it's such a fine thing to realize, you know, that you are trying to have more control than than you should over your life, over what happens next. Um, but you truly release those last few threads of, you know, of really wanting to, to control things, then there is this weight that can be released. And, and you, I just had to say, all right, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where God wants me. Awesome. And, and yep. so I am going to go forward, not, not 75 or even 90% of the way in, in, in that particular scenario, all the way in. All the way into the point where you said where you kind of accept that things might not go well, you know, that, yeah, that, yeah. that your fate could be left on that on that battlefield. And not everybody, you know, I have, you know, kind of this message at the end of the book. You don't have to necessarily end up in Iraq in a combat zone to yeah. to to go through this. Everybody goes through this in, in different ways. But once I was able to do that, this weight did come off my shoulders. I knew I wasn't miraculously going home the next day or anything like that. But I was able to go forward with just a little bit more peace that um, whatever happened, I was going to be okay. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's why there's such a audience for these books that aren't military, because you don't have to necessarily be able to relate with the circumstances that no. you were in to say, okay, how could I use this in my own life? How could I, you know use this principle to, to bring something positive to me. And I have many times the guy, you know, who's a part of this interview that wasn't in the military. There's been times where I've drawn from guys like Chris or guys like yourself from something I read and said, okay, if they can get through this, I could get through something in my life, which is completely different. Um, I wanted to ask you something though. So on the back of the book, you have a great quote here from general Mattis and you, and you mentioned general Mattis at the beginning of the interview. So the fact that you were able to get a quote from him, did you have like a close relationship with him? I know a lot of people respect Mattis. I'd love to hear more about the guy and, and your experience with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, as I was, you know, getting the book published, I was reaching out to some different people for, for some endorsements basically, or a little blurb within the book. And um, because Mattis was in the book and I, you know, described him a little bit in the night that he flew in to give us orders, I sent a copy to um, to him and he's uh, teaching at Stanford at the time and I believe still still does. And so, as you can imagine, how you get something in front of someone like someone like General Mattis. Uh, it's very <laughs> right. So um, I got a call one day out of the blue from um, actually it was an email first from his secretary, basically, who kind of you know monitors his incoming traffic. And it was like, hey, I'll try to get this to General Mattis. And that was that was it. And then a few days later, my phone rings and I let it go to voicemail. 
pick it up and listen to the voicemail. It's General Mattis on, on my cell phone uh, saying, hey, Doc, got your book. Um, it looks like you've you know, done some good work here. I'd love to talk to you about it. So I call him back uh, and um, he picks up the phone. We talk for 30 to 45 minutes. He says, great. Why don't you send me, you know, hard copy? I'll read through it. And he did. And then he called me a few weeks later and he had he had gone through kind of old school and made some notes throughout the book of things that, you know, he wanted to ask me about. He was so generous with his time. And we know he had 15 other books on his plate. Sure. And um, I was just very, very thankful for the time he took to to go through it. And he picked out some great details like, hey, Doc, I think this was, you know, um, a Cobra attack helicopter. You called it an Apache. It's <laughs> 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 like, you're right, sir. I should have hired you as my, as my editor. So wonderful experience getting to meet him. And same goes for Gary Sinise, who endorsed my book. Yes. Yeah, Gary Sinise as well. Who's a, And I saw that you did an event with Gary Sinise. And Gary Sinise truly is a guy that from people we've had on the show really puts his time and his money and all into veterans charities. There's a lot of people, I think, who use veteran causes and use the military as a look how great I am type of thing. Look at all this work. It, that it's I do. virtue signaling. Yeah, virtue I did. signaling yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And Gary yeah. Sinise, I know like year after year, I mean, I don't want to badmouth another charity, so I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. But like Mike Schlitz, who had on, could tell you that there was a charity that was basically supposed to get involved to build a smart home for him as a guy who was, who's amputated, who's lost several mm-hmm. limbs, and they didn't do what they said they were going to do. And uh, Gary Sinise Foundation was who said who stepped up to the plate. They said, you know what, we're going to take care of this. And I know they've done that for countless other guys. So, yeah, to have his endorsement, that's, that's a big one as well. 100% Ian. Gary's the real deal. I am happy to, you know, call him a friend and his foundation is the best out there um, as far as supporting across the board, military first responders, fa- their families, post 9-11 victims. So there's a foundation out there that you you can be sure your donations are going to where they're needed. True. Your yeah. foundation is uh, huge. And we're running a little fundraiser for his foundation right now, actually, through my my medical practice. Oh, wow. You need yeah, to. Do you, want, do you want to give the details? Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, can, yeah. yeah. yeah please. You, you can just go to my uh, website, which is summithealth360.com. And um, there's a little icon there with his foundation. You can click on it and um, you can give a donation. It goes straight to you know, his foundation um, and to the, to, the, to the most severely wounded warriors. Specifically, it's called the RISE Foundation. And that's the, the section of uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation that builds these smart homes for these most severely wounded veterans. And uh, I just think it's amazing. Wow. Getting back into this, I, I get, I'm, I'm searching gears, getting... Once you were done, again, we're skipping. I, I don't want to give the whole book up. I, I'd like to talk about it. Honestly. No, people are going to pick it up. Uh, I know. But, let's do it on Audible. But, you but, know. But, but what? Audible. There you go. On Audible. <laughs> um, and you have to read. Come on, Doc. I, I read my books. you got to read your own book. Come on, Doc. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, come on. Or, or he's going to hire me. To <laughs> or, do, or hire <laughs> you to do it. But, uh, but no, whoever did it did a good job. I mean, I did check out some of the, because we have Audible as a sponsor, and I did check out. Uh, so I just did, okay, do, do, do 25 book. push-ups and one for the Airborne Ranger in the Sky, and we'll call it even, buddy. All right, we'll get you. Doc, <laughs> hey, but my thing, you know, after all that, and I, 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 I want, because we, we do get some young listeners that are thinking about joining and going in, and, and I want them to understand. I don't want them to go in like I did, be all you can be, and not really. I, I'm glad I, I, I'm completely happy with how my career went. but. Yeah. I, I wasn't, 
I, I didn't know a lot. You know, I, I saw people jumping airplanes, things getting blown up, Rangers shooting guns. We still, that was, we had the black berets, so nobody else did. That's how old I am. But, you know, I didn't really know, but until I knew, but um, when it was all done and you were heading home, how hard was it to you for you to reacclimate? And like I tell guys, we never really reacclimate. We change, we do, and it's okay. Except that change. That's where guys that fight the changes that have the problem. That's when I had the problem is when I was fighting the change, but what was going on through your head, at least the first trip. And then how did it differ when you came home the second time? Um, how, you know, what, what changes did you make? And maybe we can help somebody that maybe is having issues right now with, with that. For, we right. know, has just come home. So can you talk a little bit about that coming home and family sure. and then how it differed the first time from the second time? Yes, absolutely. So as the battalion, you know, uh, physician, surgeon, uh, and there's two of us, by the way, Lieutenant Cormac O'Connor, uh, my friend and second battalion physician, we were in charge of giving, you know, these briefs, mandatory, you know, um, briefs or training to the men that was, it was everything from you got to get the anthrax vaccine going in because Saddam has bioterrorism. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got the, I get those. Yeah. yeah. I got all anthrax, of them. <laughs> Japanese encephalitis virus vaccines you've never heard of. We, we um, got because we're going into combat and we need to be medically maxed out to um, how to understand combat stress on the way home. Right. And so we're back in, you know, um, Kuwait or Al Takadam, those painful days, three weeks time, you know, to get back home and we get everybody together, 900 men, you know, in an auditorium wow. and, and, you, and you talk about these things. So I gave those, those briefs to the men and, um, you know, I had never been through combat myself until that time period. And uh, we talked about combat stress and PTSD. And then we start the journey home and it, it's a wonderful journey. It's one of the best, you know, times of my life. Um, but some men didn't come home. And, you know, there's a chapter where I talk about the battalion yep. funeral and what an amazing event that was. And then you start transitioning back into normal life after, you know, your reunion with your family and friends. And there, there, there came a point where I started to realize, OK, so you, you, you get home, you've, you've gone through this, you know, traumatic experience full of, of victories and, and sacrifices and all the above. And then, you know, you start getting back into your normal life and you realize, man, I was living at a 10 out of 10 and now I'm supposed to come back down to a five out of 10 or whatever number, you know, is civilian life. And it just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. It takes time for your body and your mind to adjust. And it's not in the time necessarily that you want. And you also start just realizing how how making that transition um, includes your your physical and your emotional um, body's responses to the environment you're in, you're in. And so, you know, there was some periods of anger I started having for no reason at all. I'd see a commercial on TV that I didn't like and talk to my wife and be like, there's men dying overseas and we're watching Britney Spears or something like that. <laughs> so I started having some irritability and then we went to Mexico and fireworks went off in the middle of the night across the street. And I was sitting up in my bed, like a caged animal, not knowing what was going on. I thought it was mortars coming in. And to fast forward and answer your question, Chris, it took me a couple of years to fully sure. you know, transition. I did have some of, you know, those PTSD type things. Me and my wife, you know, God bless her. You know, she helped me get through some of it. I didn't suffer severely, but some men did. Yeah. Everybody's path was different. And what I what I give the military a lot of credit for, and it's taken some time, is that they've demystified and taken the stigma out of yeah. talking about combat stress 
um, that, that they've they've been able to put it as a talking point much more so than ever in the past. Because who wants to admit, you know, that you you had a a problem or that you're going through some stress? Or, um, you want to feel like you're a warrior and you're tough yeah. enough to handle everything. There's always going to be that stigma. That's the way you know um, military members operate. But um, giving the the uh, taking that stigma out of it, it's gotten better and better as time has gone on. And I think that allows military members to to understand it's okay to talk about these things and address them and yep. attack them because that's how they get better. No, you're, you're right. You, I, you you're know, right. what's interesting is, uh, you know, you mentioned the fireworks thing. I remember when kind of uh, 4th of July, there, I've seen these things on, uh, you know, social media of like veterans and being kind of triggered by fireworks. And it, the funny thing is all the veterans I knew, including Chris, are always like, eh, I'm not triggered by that fireworks. So like as American as it gets, yeah. but doing this podcast, you and uh, L. Christian Bustler, who we had on, who was a Marine, you're the two guys I've heard and, from. And they had. Yeah, I actually was kind of triggered by fireworks. And it doesn't, honestly, yeah, Doc, it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. Fireworks and stuff like that doesn't, don't bother me at all. Honestly, I think what bother, bothers, well, anything bothers me. I, I've, I've, I've been able to handle it. I mean, I deployed for 10 years. I was going overseas for, yeah. and, and, um, I, really, I think the only thing, not sounds or anything like that, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I, being not feeling if I'm ever in control of a situation that that bothers me. That's where I get anxious. Yeah. And I, I got to take myself out of that situation or I have to gain control of that situation. And that doesn't always bode well in family life, too, since I'm not in charge of jack or shit in my own house because my <laughs> wife is. But but um, but no, you're, you're right. You and Christian Bustler, who was a Marine, he was a mortician in the Marine Corps, which to me, wow, his work, uh, you know, it, it, it you guys have said that. And and I, do you find that there is a just because of maybe a training or just the person involved or or and I know I can say the amount of mortars because, you know, I, or the amount of rockets, because I think it doesn't matter how many you get hit all the time or you don't. You know, I was in yeah. the, in Iraq during that time um, where, yeah, I, we're rocketing and mortars all the time. And honestly, I just got to the point where I just if I wasn't out on op, I'm, I'm putting earplugs in and I'm going to bed. If it's my time, it's my time. But um but yeah, the you, time is different for everybody that hypervigilance, you know, and good, good studies have kind of shown this, um, the physical responses uh, as, as far as how much it might impact one person over another, but it decreases with, with time. And, you know, for me, that first year maybe was the most okay. intense. And then by beyond two years, those hypervigilant responses, the physical responses are pretty much gone. And the, the best thing about what we know today is, talking and even kind of allowing yourself to relive yeah. some of the experiences it's therapeutic yeah and and you asked about you know the second tour that for me came in 2008 okay it was very unexpected that i was gonna have to go back in fact my commanding officer had just said hey doc you're good you're at this clinic here and you should be oh, no, you're good two weeks later you know <laughs> sorry doc we got orders you got to go out to camp of june <laughs> So I joined another battalion out of Camp Lejeune and, you know, that was another 10 month tour. And um, going back the second time, you know, certainly a lot of emotions were brought to the surface. Uh, that's one of the reasons I wrote the bones of the book on the second tour is just kind of therapeutic to relive some of the stuff from Fallujah while I was out there in Iraq. Sure. And um, I, I, I did well in that second tour. We were out in Al-Qaim on the border of Iraq yep. and Syria. Um, but anyways, 
reliving, talking, and and um, going through some of, of what the, the experience is has been shown to be very therapeutic. So we're doing that a lot more these days with um, with veterans. Oh, I'm curious, right. did you actually end up, because um, you say therapeutic, did you end up having to see a therapist over this stuff? Because guys I've interviewed in the past, sometimes they yeah, I can't relate yeah. to a therapist yeah. because they'll say, you don't know what it's like to be I, under mortar fire and, and bullets I, flying. I, and we live different lives. So actually, I'm just curious I, if, yeah. I actually felt better doing them because it was somebody that was not at all had anything to do with that. It was somebody that was completely opposite. So it was just something I could actually talk to because I didn't feel like they were going to judge me regardless because they knew what I was talking about. It was just, well, they were just there to listen to me and, and take it all in. So, yeah. I, yeah. But, but I've heard that too. I've heard that with the, people guys have said that as well i didn't have that effect i like talking to somebody that had experience but i also didn't mind talking to somebody that didn't know what the heck was going on over there it felt good either way so but yeah Yeah. what's your take on that yeah my path you know to answer your question ian um the the second tour uh it even though it it was rough and it sucked for me and my wife it it helped um really just kind of to round out everything that happened in fallujah it it was less uh, violent that second tour um, and, and so to answer your question, I didn't have to work with a therapist personally. I, I, I would have, and I had thought about it. I had some military members, including our battalion chaplain, who was a friend of mine. That was very, um, you know, for me, therapeutic as far as just working through some stuff. And then my wife and some other military members and, um, things kind of calmed down for me pretty quick, but it definitely gave me that insight to reach out and and help some of my um, fellow, you know, either uh, naval officers or Marines, and I, I you know, even in, in the book, there there's some instances where I talked about um, some intense, you know, emotional moments I had with some of the Marines that you know we were on deployment with, and then certainly in my own practice uh, today, completely outside of the military, you know, I, I just treat civilians these days, but my experience in the military definitely has made me a better physician, uh, you know, better father and, and husband, because I feel like I've, I don't know, I can put myself in someone's shoes. I may not, you know, you don't have to walk in everybody's shoes, I, I like to say, but if you can put yourself in them just to kind of visualize where they came from, it, it helps you reach out to them more. And so I think I've definitely grown as a, as a person that way. That's awesome. And, and family, how was a uh... How important is family? Family to me is what really got me through towards the end or yeah. when I was having issues. Some guys, I, I, the, the ones I see my buddies that have problems are usually distraught from their, or their, I say distraught or they're just, their family is not their important life. But how, how did you, you talk about your wife, you just mentioned her a few times. My wife and I have been divorced and we reconciled. A lot of it was because of the times I was gone and I just yeah. couldn't. I was always hypervigilant. The hypervigilance became the norm, and they couldn't. She, she didn't want to live like that. So, um, but talk about the family because I, I believe family is one hundred percent important. Your family and your wife is there. They're the ones that get you through in the end. But I, what's your opinion on that? And and, and talk, if you can talk a little bit about family and how important they are, or maybe you think the opposite. I, what's your opinion on? It? Yeah, you know, you know, my wife and I. We, we met that fourth year in medical school right before 9-11. We were just, you know, kind wow. of, you know, early, early stages of dating. She didn't believe me when I told her I was in the Navy. 
and she said, well, where's your peacoat? <laughs> Show me your peacoat. She's like, you're lying. Quit throwing those lines at me, dude. Come yeah. on, doc. You're picking me up. I, you work at, you work at the McDonald's. No, nothing wrong with yeah. working McDonald's. I wasn't knocking McDonald's. Sorry. I shouldn't have gone that way, but no, no, that, that's hilarious. But yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyways, from the, you know, just from the get go, that, that was, that was our life. Uh, post 9-11 being in the military and we wow. dated and uh you know there's a little surprise in chapter one about how how we eloped and didn't tell a single soul you know until until the book came out and so we made that commitment before my my first deployment that this was going to be our life together and i'll tell you what for it for us i, I know that in some in some cases it can be a hardship and, and tear people apart but for us it really just solidified you know the commitment that we had to each other because, you know, we lived kind of this unique life during, it just happened to be during wartime and two deployments and being gone and, and uh, her, you know, um, doing what she needed to do to, to, to live without me back home. And while I'm, while I'm gone, uh, uh, getting through, you know, my personal journey and, and coming back and then reconnecting. And, you know, we spent a year and a half apart and and you, when you reconnect with someone after that long, it's like, it's an, you're starting over again, yeah. you know, because they've changed and you've changed. So for us, it was huge, and we we wouldn't change it for the world, despite those those hardships. Wow. And it certainly solidified that the importance of of family in my life. And I talked about my brothers and my father in the book, and you know, at the end of at the end of it all, and I think at the end of, of any intense experience in life, you do kind of focus back in on, well, what is the most important to me? And I like to say, you know, at the end of your life, when, when, when patients, I'll I'll talk about patients are, and I've had the experience with, you know, getting to the end of life discussions with some patients at the end of your life, you don't care about the medals and the accolades and what you did in high school football. You care about the people next to you. The, The family that's in your life, the loves that have been in your life. And, and also, and also the, the um, struggles or, or the um, the conflicts that you've been able to release and get off of your chest and forgive and find new love and things like that. Those are the things that matter. Wow. So for me, my deployments brought home the things that matter. Wow. That's that, awesome. It's well that, said. That's the secret right there. I did. And it's harder than people think. I, I wish yeah. I would have handled yeah. it. I didn't handle as well as you did. I, I didn't. And I struggled for many, many years until I finally figured it out. It didn't take, it just took me longer than two years. It took me like 18 years, but I, I, I said, I'm a dumb ranger. What can you say? I keep beating your head against the wall. Eventually you're going to stop doing that. But now that's tremendous and well said. And, and I hope all you guys out there that are serving or thinking about serving or having issues veterans, you, know, you listen to doc and, and what he has to say, cause that's extremely, extremely valuable information. So, yeah, yeah. The, the last awesome. thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap things up, because I, I know you got other things going on. You are you are a busy guy um, is Summit Health is, you know, you now being the current president, medical director of Summit Health Group. Um, what do you guys do and, and how does it feel to be transitioning to doing something totally different in the private sector, civilian, uh, you know, as a doctor? So, yeah, thank you for asking. You know, the. Uh, Training as a physician in the military certainly gave me a lot of skills, and you you grow up quick if you stay you know in the military for more than a few <laughs> years. You're just given more and more responsibility, and I, I love that that tradition of of the military. And so for me as a physician, clearly they piled a lot of responsibility on me, and that gave me the skills to just feel ready after my seven years 
to exit and open my own practice. And that's what I did um, right after I got out. And uh, it certainly was a transition from military medicine, but I felt very blessed to have not only the financial means, but, you know, the leadership skills to open a practice. And I won't tell you it was easy and private practice has its own challenges. But, uh, you know, here I am well over, you know, 10 years and running a successful practice and and growing. So that that part of my military training has has really paid off for me. And I think I would tell any young person that, you know, that that's an opportunity, no matter what, you know, uh, sector of the military you enter, that you could potentially really benefit from is just learning those life skills. Maybe it's just four years, maybe you do a career, Um, but, uh, but service in the military and really any service. And to be honest, if I had my way, I think every young person should serve for two years. doesn't have to be the military. It could be the red cross uh, but service to me is is the ultimate way to give of yourself without necessarily expecting anything in return to understand how fortunate we are as Americans and the great things that we offer um, this country and our citizens. And if you do that for a couple of years, I feel like you're just going to become a, a, a better um, American on the other side of it. And just learn things about yourself that you may not have learned before. So service for two years, every young person, I have my way. Yes, Doc Donnelly for president. Yes, that's (laughs) what you're doing. I'll speak for you if you want me to. I'll probably lose votes for you, though. If you go that route, Doc, you just let me know. But it's been tremendous. And and honestly, I'm sorry. I kind of cut in a lot. I usually don't talk this much anymore. I've tried to cut But but I, I, uh, man, you really did. You brought a lot of really good memories back and I'm smiling during them. So obviously those memories that used to be horrible or I, 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 I smile and remember them fondly now, even though the good and the bad, the adversity and also, but the, the, you know, it all was a fantastic experience and, and what you said and the way you said it resonated with me. So thank you. Well, thanks for what you guys do. You know, you're an example of giving veterans a platform to, to talk and share, you know, stories and things like that. And I think it demystifies, you know, the military and gives an outlet for veterans, which is just phenomenal. So thanks for what you do. Well, you're always welcome. As, as right. Are you okay with that, Ian? Ian's the boss. Yeah. Man. Are you okay? <laughs> of course. Doc, doc, you're always welcome. And, and how can, and can, are you doing any book signings? Are you doing, or do you sell, like, are you doing stuff on websites? Cause I see I, how many of these book plates did you have? I get, I remember, yeah, I remember these fondly. <laughs> how many of those did you have to sign? Those book plates, <laughs> did they send yeah, it to you? <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I've I've been able to sign a lot of book plates. <laughs> you had mentioned, you know, we did a a, a book signing event with um, Gary Sinise on nine eleven at Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Um, we're 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 reaching out to other Barnes and Nobles in other states and um, seeing, you know, if we can get some events in other states. Everything about my book and. Um, and pictures and photos and, and videos can be found on my website, which is coderedfalusia.com. Okay, good deal. Yeah, Nick, I have yeah. that here, coderedfalusia.com, uh, summithealth360.com if you want to check out Summit Health Group. Yeah. And then at DocWilks1 on Twitter and Instagram, which is at Doc, W-I-L-K-E-S, oh. the number one on Twitter, on Instagram. And yeah, this is this has been a, a pleasure and right. an honor. And I think a lot of people, yeah, I think a lot of people who are interested in following in the footsteps of what you've done are going to be inspired by this and and pick up the book. So thank you guys. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate it. 
God bless you. God bless you, you. Doc. You're fantastic, man. You you, you keep (laughs) doing those things. You're awesome, brother. I I, I admire the hell out of you. God bless you, brother. Have a great weekend, man. All right. Take care. Bye. Huge thanks again. Yeah, really enjoyed having him on. And, you know, I I don't think I said it during the interview, but the thing is, there's so many different books now, right? Like there's there's a ton of, we always say, and I know it's like the running joke, there's a million Navy SEAL books. There's becoming more and more Army Ranger books. There's a lot of Marine books, but uh, a Navy um, doctor, I really don't, I, it may be the first of its kind or one of the well, first. Yeah, I, well, and, and Not that you see a lot. And, and, you know, there wasn't a lot. That first Fallujah, I mean, that, that was the big, like there was, I want to say three or four of, of, of really huge urban battles outside of Somalia, which we'll have Dale Sizemore on here. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, there were, like he said, there was only two doc, two actually MDs there during that battle. And there really was only four huge, in my opinion, there's a lot of bad battle for Sauter city, but, but the, the known monster where there was a lot of carnage, a lot of casualties was that first Fallujah. There was another one that happened. And then there were two in Ramadi. And those were, I mean, those were, those were meat grinders. They were, they were really, I, the first one though that he was in was the worst, obviously that got more casualties on the enemy side than our side, because military, whether you think we're dumb or not, we do learn from our mistakes and we try to improve. So we don't lose as many guys. Um, but I don't think there was a lot of them because there were not a lot of MDs out there that experienced what he did. I mean, being right there, which he, he is right. He said it. And an actual MD being that close to the front, being that close to the battle, which is right there, um, doesn't happen often. And I seriously doubt if it happens often today with how risk adverse the military is. And, you know, we're, we're not anything like Fallujah anymore, you know, right now. So um, right <laughs> right now. But, um, man, that's why I think this is people should read it. And in reading it, his faith comes out. It, it was fantastic yeah. how the faith, it wasn't overbearing. You know, I, and I, I hate to use my example, I'm po- po- toot my own horn here, but it's kind of like how I would, I wanted to write about faith. It wasn't, Hey, I have faith, but yeah. you don't, ha- you know, if you want to believe it, you're fine, but I'm not going to throw it in your face and I'm not going to hate you if you don't. It's just, Hey, well, and also, I thinking. yeah, I, I feel like if the book is over the top, uh, Christian, then yeah. uh, this is my opinion. I think you might be preaching to the choir and you're only going to appeal to a Christian yeah, audience. Yeah. And yeah. If you really want to get other people into faith, you, you don't want it to be that over the top. Because pe- if I just see this book, I just think this is a doctor at war. This is not a fa- it doesn't say faith based anywhere on it. Yeah. But then you get into the book and it does have some faith. Based faith and, to and, it, so. and, it, and it's not he's trying to get you to believe anything. He's just saying this is what I believe. And that's how I do. It. Same thing. This is what I felt. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to. I expect you to feel that same way. And that's how he did it. It's just, this is what was going through my head. And, and it, it came across awesome. And, and, you know, I, you know, I, I've seen a little bit of carnage. You know, he was seeing it on a daily basis. He's trying to save lives every day. And that, again, that was a meat grinder there. I, again, I guys, I highly recommend this book. If you're going through adversity at all, it will put things in perspective. Um, and for those that have served and been in, and some of you that have been in Fallujah or have served and have, you know, in combat zones, uh, Afghanistan, again, especially up in, uh, uh, you know, the Panjshir or down in the Hindu Kush, you know, you've seen a lot of stuff too. Um, you know, it brings back good memories. I think so. It brings back memories of, yeah, you've lost, we've lost brothers. Remember that. But like I said, when I read, I was smiling. It wasn't because I was, man, I lost, but I, man, fucking, that was a terrible day. It was, damn, I remember that day. Man, 
I can't believe I got to go through that. That was that I'm so blessed to be able to experience that. So I, I think it's for even for guys that, 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 uh, men and women guys that, <laughs> that, uh, that have been through their own adversity, seen their own combat, uh, and have experienced life and death on a, on a scale like that, like a scale of 10, um, yeah, uh, scale from one to ten out of ten. You know, with the with the amount of duress that you have to go under, um, I recommend you read it as well. I think it'll bring some clarity and perspective to your lives, and and you may even find some, a, a little nugget in there that'll help you get through get through anything you're going through right now. So, yeah, I, I know I'm 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 going in a full circle here. No, it's cool. This is a this is a big endorsement of the book, really, <laughs> and, and people will check it out. Um, it's awesome. You know, it's the, the other thing I wanted to get to, and we didn't get to it on in the intro, but I feel like we should at least mention it, was yeah. uh, everybody's heard by now the death of Colin Powell, uh, COVID-19, you know, and, and the details of it, although he's fully vaccinated, the guy's older, <laughs> pre-existing conditions. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you were in the military when he was a name that, Everybody yeah. knew. I, I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts on. Uh, no, I, I thought he was a tremendous. Uh, you know, I thought he 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 was. I, I, I should say tremendous leader. I, you know, at that time, those guys up up there, I cared two shits about what those. Guys, it was so far above my pay grade. Sure. <laughs> and what we were doing, um, and and but also during that time frame, you know, that was early on in the Iraq War, and my mindset was a lot different than what it is now. When we're going in there, like I, we we talked about during the show, I was talking to Doc here. That time it was it was very patriotic. It was going in, hey, we're going to fuck, kill terrorists. Yeah, what's the mass destruction? Fire. Yeah. But you know, I, and to say that we're not going to get into that political, I there, I don't know if there was or was not. I think there were probably was some remnants to it, but to say it was on the scale that it was portrayed to get us in there, I don't believe that. I think somebody it's always somewhere in between everything's always somewhere in between yeah, it's a, I, I feel like it's it's interesting you say that you know not to interrupt here but no 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 yeah. go ahead most I think most things in life are gray area and that's why it's like it's kind of weird just seeing the response on Twitter to Colin Powell and look no, no disrespect because this is not coming from me this is just things that I'm reading I've either seen things that are like he was a hero he was the greatest and then on the other scale, there's people that are like he was a he was a war, war criminal, bomb, war criminal, and, and, and even no, like yeah. Donald Trump put out a really negative statement about him. So it's just yeah, I, I do think most things in life are a lot more gray area than we like to make. And them. and those that have never, especially those that weren't there in Iraq or or don't know the man personally, shut the fuck up. Seriously, you don't have any room. To, no, I mean, if you, and if you want to say, okay, I'm sorry. If you want to say something, fine. But Tano's telling you, shut the fuck up. But you know, go ahead and say whatever you want. He served. He served honorably. He, he, he. I, I believe he had good, good traits and bad traits, just like all officers do, all enlisted guys do. Um, and when we went to Iraq, I, I do believe he was doing it. He thought he was doing it for the right reasons, which is you get only get the information you got. I did not see him as a as a money grubbing officer or somebody that didn't have a spine like the ones they are now is he a lot better than what we have now i oh hell yeah i do believe it's tremendous um but also ian that was also the beginning to me if i look back now that was also the beginning when officers started to become more politicians and more public figures now granted we had actually you know what's interesting is i could just like as young as i was right so i didn't follow politics but you do get just an idea of things you see on the news, things you you read, things your parents are yeah. saying. At the height of uh, pretty much his popularity, the end of the Clinton administration, there was a lot of people saying, I'd like to see Colin Powell be the first black president. And it was yeah. the first time I ever heard 
I think, right? As you're saying that a general, let's let's make him the highest level. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that's what I saw. I saw that's when, or maybe that's when I just started paying attention to it. Yeah, I when I saw, and when I say I saw, that's I didn't know that that the military and politics to me it was still kind of separate, but. I didn't really get into it, but at that time it almost started to say, oh, wait a second, this is all together now, politics and the military, and they shouldn't be, they should be completely fucking apart, but it, it did. It, it's yeah. I, maybe that was it. And it's like, well, we, he needs to be president. And I didn't care to, or if he wanted to be, I just wanted to work in Iraq and I was having a blast <laughs> running around in the wild west. But, um, no, I, you know, he was a general, he, he reached those levels. I thought he, from what I've heard, I've never served with the man. And I, I don't know. I don't know anything personally about his his service time because I said never been with him where he was on the same base or he commanded my tr- whatever unit I was with. He was never with the Rangers or nothing, but uh, he he sounded like he did. He was he was a good officer up until the end of where he started to get into the politics, man. And and I think that goes with all officers. I think they're all good until they start getting into politics, and then it it becomes less about the guys and the troops and more about agendas. And to me, his when he was in that time frame is when it started to go that route right there. That was the beginning of it because, you know, he was under also under Bush. He was sex state, wasn't he? Under under, yeah, I believe so. under George. Have, you're going to make me Google here. Yeah, so you're Google, but, back straight, I think. <laughs> but that, that was that was the beginning to me, the beginning of the end of an officer being an actual officer in the military and not being a politician. Um, was it his fault? I don't think it was his fault. I just saw it going that route with all the officers. Up, eh, no more just guys that are officers about it. That's our next career step is politics. And and I think that's he that's was, uh, But 65th um, Secretary of State, as you 65, said, 2001 okay. to 05. Um, yeah. One thing that's kind of interesting, though, is, is I think maybe – like civilians wanted to see someone like Colin Powell at those levels because of the fact that no one we've had right when at the height of that popularity, Clinton has served at all. So then yeah. you, you say we should have, if we have a president who's going to send people to war, they should have experience with war themselves. And yeah, and Clinton, Bush, Jr., Trump, Biden, none of them. No yeah, and, 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 you know, and, and uh, that they got to stay, as an officer, they can't turn into, there's that fine line. And I don't know what that is. And, and yeah, you're right. People could say, well, Tano, you're being a fucking hypocrite. Well, <laughs> I am, I am. I, I just, I, I, I see military personnel becoming officers instead of bringing, I mean, military personnel officers becoming politicians instead of bringing the values that you have and that you're supposed to have in the military, bringing politicians to those values. They lose the values that you have in the military. I wrote about the Patriots Creed is all about the army values, what, how you should live your life based off the army values, which is, you know, name a few morality, selfless service, uh, you have personal courage of duty, honor, integrity, you know, those things. Um, And I see them losing that when they go to the political realm, instead of, wait a second. No, if you're going to be an officer, yeah. And you want to be president, bring the politics to the military side of the house, as far as the value system that you have. So they lose, that's what I guess I'm getting at. They lose their value system when they transfer over instead of being the bigger person and saying no politics, I'm not going to take your unethical bullshit. You're going to come to my realm and we're going to live by these values. And, but it's easier way, you know, you know, that's why I'm not a politician. It's way easier said than done. 
I mean, sure. so, but I, I, I got nothing bad to say about him. I don't know that he personally, when I was as a contractor and he was, and all that time I was, I was working for the government and he was part of the government. I, I never heard anything bad about him. You know, I, he didn't try, he didn't leave us behind when he was secretary of state to die in Libya. So that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, but, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, God bless him and his service was honorable and he, he reached a high ass level. You don't get to those high levels by not being at least decent at your job. At least back then you didn't, I don't know about now, but back then you didn't. And uh, yeah, I mean, God bless him and his family and, and, and all those other, you know, military personnel that may pass that you may not you know, be the highest calling pal, but, sure. but those that have died passed and served honorably, you know, God bless you guys as well, but he's right. He's right there. He's right in with the guys that served honorably. And that's a good thing. That's a positive. Sure. So, so absolutely. Um, yeah. Anything else before we wrap up here? Like I said, uh, you know, really great response to the last episode. And I that's know a awesome. lot of people checked us out for the first time last episode, uh, just cause I heard from them. And that's the stuff that I love doing. I mean, it, it's kind of what we said at the end of the last interview. If it inspires people, uh, I, I really love doing this show because of the fact that, yeah, there's, yeah. there's so much media out there, but m- much of it is not inspirational. Yeah. Much of it is not positive. And if we're able to get new people on board and they're able to listen to an interview like that and say, wow, this person had a leg that wasn't functioning for what was it? 14 I years. Know. They, Can you imagine that? Yeah. Shit, I, I think it helps people get through their day and whatever adversity they're facing. I, I do. So now, I, I just want to thank everybody that keeps listening. I never thought we'd be, I'll be on going this long. I mean, it's, I'm I just think, about two years. Just yeah. About. I didn't think we would be, st- I mean, I didn't always think, Oh, this is going to be shit because of course <laughs> the Tonto doesn't think like that. I think we're going to be good at whatever we do, but I didn't know if we get the listeners because we aren't divisive. We don't go out there and try to pick. And Hey, we know that if we did do that, yeah, we'd probably get more listeners or whatever, but there is a price that you can put on integrity and, and, and we won't do that. This world is full of so many negatives that there has to be some positives out there and learning about people like Doc Donnelly or, or Alana, it puts things in perspective that, you know, man, life isn't that bad. And if these guys are fighting and knuckling up and driving on and grinding, well, I can too. We don't have a lot of shows like that. That And, and all by my, you know, we are, we do talk about faith, but we're not preachy either. So, yeah. uh, there's nothing like us out there. That's I, I, honestly, <laughs> I honestly believe that. And that's why we keep rolling along. And, and we appreciate the sponsors that keep, like Audible, we got yeah. to come back on. And that's outstanding. And yet follow us as always uh, on Instagram at Battleline Podcast, on Twitter at Battleline Pod, Facebook, all that good stuff. Thanks, guys. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christontoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.